Welcome to Elevate Podcast, the fastest way to elevate your life. Brought to you by elevatebooks.com. Hello and welcome to another one of our Elevate Podcast. My name is Benjamin J. Harvey, the Difference Maker Mentor. And once again, we have the pleasure of interviewing an international best-selling author from the Elevate series. Now, if you want to find out more about them or any of the other authors in the Elevate series, be sure to check out elevatebooks.com forward slash authors, where you'll actually find a bunch of additional information and plenty of highly valuable and free, that's free resources you can download immediately to further assist you in elevating all areas of your life. So today we're speaking with Heather McAlpine, and for those of you who have not met Heather before, she is a couples and family therapist, consultant, and counseling supervisor. She's also an international speaker and presenter, was awarded the Winston Churchill Fellowship, has taught postgraduate and undergraduate students, and was a clinical coordinator for Relationships Australia. Throughout her over 30-year career in counselling couples, Heather has enabled people to unleash their potential so they can have fulfilling, vibrant and long-lasting relationships. She and her husband, John, are chair and trainer couple for Better Marriages Australia and run Couples Getaways. Building on the theme of forgiveness, Heather has developed The Power of Apology, a popular two-day seminar that enables participants to enjoy the present by healing their past. In her spare time, Heather enjoys long-distance cycling sustained by the one and only dark chocolate. So can you please welcome to the show Heather. Hello, Heather. <laughs> Hello, Ben. Thank you very <laughs> How much. How are you doing? Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm doing well. Thank you. You're doing well? Look, I'm yes. really glad that you're here. I'm excited about this interview. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about uh, the information. Uh, that chapter in that book is just really quite profound. I, really, I loved all the stuff that you broke down in there. But before we jump into that, there are probably some people listening in right now who've never heard of you before, or maybe they haven't picked up a copy of your incredible book yet. So tell me, uh, this whole thing about relationships and well-being through relationships, what got you onto that? Why are you so passionate about that? Well, I, I believed for a long time, uh, probably probably 40 years or 35 years at least, um, that our relationships are core in the level of our well-being, the degree of our well-being and health that we can achieve. And um, they're also core in investing a legacy that we can pass on through the generations. So I'm very much uh, focused on how we can build a better world and often we're not conscious of just how powerful uh, intergenerational living can be if we have a focus on how we are now can influence our children, our neighbourhoods, our communities and, um, and the world on a larger scale. So relationships, yeah, I see as vital. To all of that. I mean, you've been doing this mm. for a long time. And over the years, you obviously will work with hundreds of couples from a variety of different uh, styles of relationships and different connections and so on. What would you say, as you're going through all of that journey, what is it that makes yeah. a good relationship? What is it that keeps couples together? Well, I think it's trust uh, is, a, is a huge uh, element. And, you know, in order to have trust, there there needs to, an intimacy uh, and connection. There needs to be a few things underneath that. So if you kind of see it like a triangle, that's a pack of cards. There's a pack underneath the 
the intimacy that we're all desiring to achieve. Um, I'm talking about emotional, mental intimacy, um, just deep connection and fun and vitality all wrapped up in that as well. And in order for that to be achieved, it depends on what the pack of cards is underneath as to whether that will happen. And, and so obviously I can't be intimate with my husband if I'm not open it, if I'm not open and um, and I don't open those avenues of conversation, of sharing, you know, on a deeper level. And if I'm going to be open, obviously I'm going to need a fairly deep level of trust and that has to be established. And and trust, you know, there's that saying that trust takes years to build, seconds to break and forever to repair. So, um, yeah, trust is built on our ability to heal hurts and often we carry hurts from our existing relationship that haven't been resolved, but also hurts from previous adult relationships and, of course, our family of origin. So there's a lot that potentially needs to be healed that wasn't done back then when it would have been easier to have occurred. Mm. So just on that topic of trust, I mean, there are people out there who meet people and they trust them straight away. Mm. Uh, But then there are people that, that take a while to build trust. Mm. Uh, but no matter how that takes place, as trust being sort of the centralized point, for the couples out there right now who are listening in and they're like, well, I don't really have that level of trust or I don't really have that that feeling, what, what's the, some suggestions? What, what, what can they do? Well, it, trust trust takes time and it takes discernment. So it's important not to just trust anybody out there. Uh, it, it takes a, a certain level of just time with a person and then discernment on, well, what's, what's that person, how do I feel in that person's presence? Are they somebody who will just try and fix a problem and not really listen deeply? Are they somebody who just goes and spreads the word when I've shared my heart? So your experience will tell you whether to trust a person or not. Some people don't have a clear clear guidance on that or, or good perception on that. And so often, you know, there's programs that can help people with that um, besides counselling in looking at self-awareness and just deepening your own level of awareness and your relationship with yourself to then go out and uh, be more discerning in the relationships you develop with others. Mm. So obviously over the years there was the like some practical tips that you would say help people enhance their connection or build stronger relationships. What are some of the systems or the tools that you generally recommend to couples, not just around trust but around relationships in general that, that make them better mm. or improve mm. them or strengthen them? Well, spending, spending quality time with one another is really important. A lot of people, as they're dating, you know, that comes natural to them. You know, they just love to spend time with each other. They can't get enough of each other. And, uh, and often it's based around doing fun things together and exciting things together. And that's all very well and good. Um, but after the infatuation stage of a relationship, 
um, completes itself, if you like, and that infatuation stage lasts from between three minutes to three years, if you're lucky, <laughs> um, mm. then the area, the stage of commitment sets in, and that's where trusting, uh, you know, you want to know whether you can trust that person, you know, before you've obviously made that commitment. Um, but after that commitment's made, it's so important to keep the the fun and the vitality and the romance alive in a relationship. And that's where intention is so important. Actually stating your intention to do that and your desire to do that and making it happen, making a decision and taking action on that. So my husband and I, for example, uh, used to, when we were in the peak hour of, you know, young children, peak time of, of young children, we would just just have our own date nights on the couch with a candle, with nice music, you know, just having uh, cheese and wine starting the evening. And so that was, and we put John and we put J and H nights out on the calendar to make sure that they happened. My husband's a doctor. He was on call a lot. It would have been easy for us to just get into the mundane activities, the constant activities of life with all the children's activities, his on-call work, my work, everything else, and not allow time to really invest in each other because, after all, the kid's going to grow up and that's why you see so many um, mid-life couples at restaurants just looking at each other and not having anything to converse about. It's quite sad, really, mm. isn't it? I mean, how regularly did you book in these J and H nights? What, what's the, the frequency of those you recommend? <laughs> well, we booked them in once a week, and our children got to a point of realising that when, when mum and dad were sitting on the couch that was our couch time. And unless there was a fire in the house or something really urgent, that they weren't to interrupt us. And there we were just chatting, talking about our, our not just our day-to-day -day stuff, but deeper stuff. And, you know, it gets you get to a, a stage in life with teenagers that they're up for as long as you are at night. So you're all going to bed. You're going to bed tired and you don't have that time in bed to have pillow talk like you did when your children were younger. So it involves being flexible through the stages of life. That's another key in good marriages, to have the flexibility through the different seasons of life and to know that what works through one season is not necessarily going to work through the next and to, to just develop different techniques and different ways of, of having that constant connection and the deep connection and the fun connection with each other. Mm. Nice. So what else would you say are some of the key things that uh, people in relationships need to be aware of or need to look out for uh, in order to prevent their relationships going bad, for want of a better phrase? Well, it's interesting. I see a lot of couples um, that say, you know, gosh, our sex life just isn't the same anymore. And, you know, that's really disappointing for both of them. And, you know, libido changes over seasons as well. And it's important, you know, to actually uh, be able to communicate how they feel about that and what they can do differently. But 
it's it's funny. John and I used to have this other thing where we not only put J and H things on it, um, as little alert on the calendar each week, but we would have a, a, a special code. And our, we couldn't believe our children never got it, even as teenagers. We used to have skin to skin prime time. We called it. Okay, so it was <laughs> NTSPT. Skin to skin, prime time. And our kids must have just thought it was some sort of medical meeting that John had to go to. <laughs> and we would have skin to skin, prime time. That didn't actually mean always sex, but just to be able to have massage touching, enjoying each other and having that connection. And so, you know, just talking about in the peak time of, of family life where, you know, you're relationship can often take a back seat and you don't want it to because then you know that's where so many divorces occur when you've allowed the relationship to do that mm. yeah nice it's about being conscious of that as well mm. Mm. so i know you run a lot of incredible retreats a lot of workshops a lot of amazing work that you do with people uh certainly in your retreats that you run down at kayama there the kayama couples get away plus you do the Freedom to Forgiveness two-day workshop and your well-being workshops as well. As yeah. you're observing people go through all these programs, what would you say is some of the most common things that people can easily adjust and start to work on, apart from that quality time together, that mm. you see has quite a big impact on the quality of their relationships? So what other things could they do? I think looking at being proactive and looking at trying to not let unresolved conflicts get pile up, okay? Once you start allowing that to happen, they eat into the relationship. And it just it it, it just become can become like a rotten apple core. What was once a beautiful, juicy apple, every time a conflict comes, which is a normal natural part of life especially in intimate relationships because you care about each other and you care about the issues. So conflicts are a normal part of life, but if you avoid them and both people are conflict avoidant in a relationship, they're going to pile up and become unresolved. And if you don't address them, acknowledging that you're on the same side and working together to heal any hurts that one has hurt, one has wounded the other in, then it's going to, it's going to be a huge stone wall that's built up in a relationship and really hard to take all those stones down. It takes them a lot longer and a lot more energy to take the stones down than what it does to just unwittingly pile up. So being conscious of conflict and allowing it to be the growing edge of a relationship rather than something to be fearful of and making it like a decayed rotten apple core. The actual relationship can become that if you aren't addressing them when they arise. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point for sure, making sure that people do not build up that resentment or that charge around those concepts. Mm. Now, you've got some yeah. the the languages of apology that you write about in your book. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, this was designed by a guy called Gary Chapman, 
and um, Jennifer Thomas and they've written a book called The Five Love Languages and they've also written a book called The Five Languages of Apology and I found that an extremely, both those concepts extremely helpful uh, when we've been running seminars for different, for, for couples and also when I've been running seminars for workplaces, uh, looking at team building, conflict management uh, in the workplace. It's been a really helpful resource to help people understand that we do actually speak different languages. And so just like if you were speaking Italian to me, Ben, and um, I was, or maybe say, you've probably learned a bit of Czechoslovakian, haven't you? Because you have mm-hmm. a wife in that. Yes. So say if I was speaking English, you were speaking Czech, we would not, and you couldn't understand any English, we would not meet on the same path, would we? No. We, we need to speak the same language of apologies in this case and so some people attempt an apology but they're not they're just projecting the apology that they might feel more comfortable with or often we can be really slack and just do a pseudo apology and it actually does more harm than good so in my programs on freedom through forgiveness and the power of apology we spend a lot of time I spend a lot of time helping people discover what their language is, what their primary language is. And some people have multiple languages, they're multilingual. And it's ideal to be multilingual because then you can connect with other people when you're trying to show that you are deeply sorry for, for your actions or your words, whatever it might be, or your attitudes. Um, you can connect with that person that you've wounded and the apology, the reconciliation goes much more smoothly and it doesn't take as much energy or time uh, to recover. You're back on the same path again. and uh, But it means connecting with the specific apology language of the other person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the different apology languages it almost sounds like you'd have a, a miscommunication in that that would further exacerbate the issue and not become an apology. Is that Can that happen? Oh, precisely. Like you've heard teenagers say, sorry. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> you know, not, not my teenagers, of course, you know. <laughs> not, not your children who will become teenagers soon then, but, you know. <laughs> No, Other of course, we've all, Other ones. yeah. <laughs> no, I've heard it in our home plenty of times, and we actually, we actually made a rule to that that was out of bounds. That was just not on, because it actually it does more harm than good. So when you're expressing regret, you really want to show that deeply. And one a type of pseudo apology when you're expressing regret. You often hear people say, I'm sorry if you were hurt by that, or I'm sorry you got hurt by that. And all of a sudden, that sorry becomes a blame. Oh, you wimp. You got, you, you got hurt by that? What's the matter with you? You know? Mm. Rather than the person who's expressing regret saying, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm deeply sorry. I, I, I did that. It was wrong of me 
to say mm-hmm. that or to do that, and I don't want to do that again. Yeah. It's totally different, isn't it? Absolutely. It comes from a totally different space. Yes. Yeah. Your attitude is about taking responsibility by admitting that you're wrong uh, rather than you know, putting blame on the other person for being <laughs> so sensitive or whatever. Because quite often, a, sometimes in a relationship, there'll be a heartfelt apology that then the other person just uses back against them because they've mm. already got too much resentment built up. So it looks like here there are... So, so when doing a good apology or going through the process, is there steps you, that you'd re- recommend people follow or what would you say? Yes, and it's, it's, I'm really glad you mentioned that, you know, that it can be thrown back at you sometimes. And that's where discernment is really important. Like if mm. you don't believe that this the relationship is ready for vulnerability, where you, because making an apology, being being deeply sorry, is an act of choosing to be vulnerable. And if you are worried about that being thrown back at you, you would go tentatively, and 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 suss out, you know, whether the person's going to do that. Because there are some people, unfortunately, in this world, people who have narcissism, are, are one type of people. Um, People who are psychopaths, sociopaths, or other type of people, where the types of apologies that I'm talking about here will not will uh, it's detrimental to mm-hmm. put yourself in that vulnerability, because what happens is that that will be used against you, and it's important to know the contraindications, the actual times when it's when these um, methods are not to be used. And another another common relationship where it's not to be used, verbal apologies, um, is where there's domestic, where there's family violence and it's continual. And because what that does is it allows the person who is perpetrating to actually actually continue that cycle so it, it it can be misused to reinforce the already dysfunctional positions in a in a family violence cycle of the relationship. So in family violence, the wounded person, you know, can feel more guilty if they're asked to forgive and they can't. So you know, sometimes a person who's continually acting violating. Uh, another person, they'll say, oh, you know, you need to forgive me or please forgive me. But the cycle of abuse just continues further. And so verbal forgiveness is also not appropriate in that context. Mm. But inward forgiveness is important, but to set boundaries, and sometimes that means completely moving away from that person until they make those changes because any relationship where there's continual violation of respect and um, decency in relationship, then it's not going to, you know, the apologies and forgiveness is, is not going to be helpful in those types of relationships. 
So with that, with with inward forgiveness work, I mean, how does one go about that? I'm sure there's people listening in right now curious, how do I begin a journey of inward forgiveness? What do you recommend? What, what can they do? Yeah, yeah. It's a very, I just want to say to start with, it's a very complex one uh, because obviously we're talking about somebody who has not um, turned away from their wrongdoing, okay? And so boundaries are very important to establish. And then the inward forgiveness is a gift that you can give yourself to be able to move on from the violation, from the relationship, from the violating ways, and also not to hold bitterness and resentment against that person. So, you see, I, I, um, I've been in this work for a long time, as you said, and it's interesting that, you know, 20 years ago, I studied family relationships with the gurus of my, in my field of work on a Winston Churchill Fellowship in the US and the UK. And I realized that although there's so much done with communication skills, conflict management programs, there's very little done in the area of apologies and forgiveness, reconciliation of relationships that are worth restoring. And then on top of that, there's very little done on the question that you've just asked me, Ben, on how do you, how do you inwardly forgive someone who is perpetuating um, a situation and continuing with um, abusive behavior or disrespectful behavior. And mm. at the time of um, 10 years ago, if you were with me, back in uh, 2008, I had an experience um, from someone where I was receiving um, constant emotional and mental um, violations. And it, 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 was ve- it was a very difficult time and I understood what was underneath uh, his abuse with his own inability to face his own shame about other stuff. But blaming and scapegoating and total denial uh, was occurring and it was easier for him in the short term to do those, um, to choose those methods, but in the long term it was destroying our relationship. Now this is somebody who I actually needed to continue, needed to have relationship, um, ongoing relationship of some sort. It was a, you know, a distant relative. And so during that time I felt intensely sad and incredibly mm. disappointed and, uh, and fearful in his presence. Um, but I had to realize when you asked me about this internal forgiveness, I had to realize I couldn't fix him. That was his responsibility. But what I realized my responsibility was, was to choose to set clear boundaries and to inwardly forgive so that I wasn't living with resentment and bitterness that would eat away at my soul. So I needed to release the past so I could enjoy more present moments um, but at the same time set very clear boundaries. So would you say it's kind of like an internal dialogue that has to take place for people out there? 
Like, do they need to begin an inward conversation where they start to set up a bit of a reconciliation process? Or, well, to to ask for that, yes, but then the person who's violating might not be ready for that and might not want to um, stop mm. their yep. their violating words or attitudes or behaviours. And so, what I did then was I made a decision to just write down. What I needed, which was in terms of the deep heartfelt apology and, you know, for, for each occasion. But I knew I wasn't going to get that at that time. Okay, so what I could do is I made a decision to act on what I could do and learn through this process by, by and I, so I wrote my reflections down on, on what it took to forgive regardless of not getting an apology. And what happened, which was just a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. After years of running all these, you know, thousands of, for thousands of health professionals and thousands more of the general public, um, running programs for, uh, on power of apology, I had a call from this person saying that he would like to do the program himself. And that just blew me away. Little did he know that that um, I designed this program through my own learnings and reflections from what had happened back in 2008. And so I can honestly say now that I have great pride in this program as it enables people to identify the the remorse and the deep, um, the, the regret that needs to take place when we've wronged somebody, but also the depth of forgiveness that needs to take place on the other side um, to restore broken relationships that you want to be restored. And mm. that, you know, what, what was so beautiful about this situation was that he has allowed, he's given me permission to talk about this um, because he realizes that through having done the two-day Power of Apology program, he was transformed. And I'm a living witness of seeing that and having ongoing relationship now that is just so precious and so, so filled with good, the good fruits of reconciliation. But back in the time prior to him doing that course and him receiving other, you know, counselling and other, other, you know, lots of work, um, that he did on himself. Prior to that, all I could do was set boundaries and um, clear, clean, honest and respectful boundaries and at the same time inwardly forgive so that I wasn't carrying resentment into the next interaction mm-hmm. with him or anybody else. Yeah. And then I just needed to be patient to wait until that person was ready. And he may never have been ready, but I was very fortunate that he actually, you know, trusted me enough to actually do this program that he knew I was the only one running, <laughs> running it. Yeah. Uh, and what a privilege it was for me to see, to witness that transformation. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. Mm. And for him so, to give me permission to share that story now. Yeah, Absolutely. Mm. Quite a miraculous transformation. Yes. Now, uh, we're about to wrap up the interview, but are there any, any final words, any, anything you'd like to leave our listeners with or anything you'd like to share with them before we do wrap it up? Well, to be encouraged that, you know, forgiveness 
there's a lot of myths about forgiveness. And, you know, it doesn't mean condoning the action. It just means letting go of it. And also it's not an emotion. It's a choice. And it's a very unnatural decision. And it's not really fair. It doesn't feel fair at all. It's a challenging choice. And uh, it's costly. And it's a complicated decision. And so, you know, it takes time. It's a process rather than just a once-in-a-lifetime event. It's a daily daily choice that requires discipline and intentionality and grace. Um, but the, the power of it is just unspeakable. You know, it, uh, it does enable us to remove the poison. And in time, we notice that our wounds gradually turn into just scars and those scars, just like after an operation, they can still sometimes give a sudden sharp jab even years later. I don't know whether you've had an operation, but, you know, that, mm. that, that's what happens with those scars in operation after many, many years sometimes of an operation. And in time, those scars of the story of our woundedness can turn into stories of inspiration and encouragement for others. So not only has our own well-being been elevated, but we've had a beautiful opportunity to be an instrument in someone else's well-being as well as we pass that that uh, forgiveness process down through the generation. Beautiful. Now, I know the listeners are probably curious to find out more about your workshops, and uh, you've got a fantastic website up online that they can check out, which is uh, Heather McAlpine Consulting. Dot com h e a t h e r m c a p l i n e and then the word consulting dot com so I recommend people uh, check that out uh, now I have been enjoying this interview immensely and to be honest I could talk to you pretty much all day I think <laughs> but we realise that the people that are listening online they might not have all day. So I just I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. I really want to thank you for all the wisdom that you've shared and uh, for the incredible work that you do all around Australia with these couples. It's amazing. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ben. And I just, uh, if I can leave you with wonderful Nelson Mandela's uh, quote, you know, that forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes all fear. And that's why it's such a powerful weapon. You know, it, uh, it is something that our, our presence, when we've forgiven, it automatically liberates others then too. So it is a wonderful intergenerational gift that we can leave as a legacy for our loved ones and our whole community. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And thank you for uh, my pleasure. inspiring our listeners. It's, uh, it's been a real joy. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ben. Pleasure. So if you'd like to find out more about Heather or any of the other authors, you can do so by visiting elevatebooks.com forward slash authors. And always remember, giving yourself permission to do what you love is the key to elevating all areas of your life. And until we meet again, share your light, live your love, and do whatever it takes to be your own best friend. Bye for now. 
Thanks for listening to Elevate Podcast, the fastest way to elevate your life. For more information, visit www.elevatebooks.com.